All right, the, the title of my message, Quick, Get Up. Uh, we're continuing our study in Acts. We're in Acts chapter 12, and uh, this is an exciting, it's going to be a fast-paced message. Uh, there's a very special ending to this, and I'm trusting that what the Lord has done in all of our previous services, uh, His Spirit will be poured out in a special way in this service uh, also. Uh, many of you are new to Trinity, and you may not be aware that I was in prison back in 1992 and 1983. I served as a correctional officer, and uh, <laughs> as I worked in the, uh, in the prison industry, I got an education. I was only 19 back then, and uh, it's an otherworldly experience to look at pure evil in the eyes. I got an education about human nature that you can't get from a book or from a lecture, but being in that environment. You know, I was thinking the last 27 years of working in the church world, I've also received an education. I've learned something about human nature, that all of us have a past that sometimes we're imprisoned by. Many people are in a place of bondage in their life. Many people are in a prison many times of their own making. You see, all throughout our country, cities throughout our country, there are free men and women who are locked up on the inside. They're in bondage and they're in a prison. And yet there are men and women in prisons, literally, throughout this land, and they're free, totally free, because of their surrendering of their life to Jesus Christ. Many are held hostage to their past. Many are in a prison maybe of unforgiveness or maybe bitterness. I know last night an individual came up to me and said, this message was for me, Pastor Carl. I, I'm in a prison. My prison has been bitterness. I'm bitter that my spouse left me for somebody else. I'm bitter that they, they left me, and I'm struggling to raise my children. And she realized that you can't hang on to bitterness. You can't hang on to unforgiveness, that you have to give it over to God. You have to let it go because it'll keep you locked up and locked down, and it'll keep you back from everything that God has for you. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the gospel says that this is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life, listen, in exchange for the many who are held hostage. Thank God that Jesus came and exchanged his life for yours, for those that have been held hostage. What is a hostage? It's a person given or held against their will as security for the fulfillment of certain conditions, terms, or promises by another. All of us were taken captive and held hostage by the God of this world, the fallen angel Lucifer, Satan. But Jesus came and gave up his life for your life and my life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the services today and just how the Spirit has been moving through that incredible time of worship and communion. And now, Lord, as we break the spiritual bread of life and distribute it, your people will be fed. Your word will find a home in our hearts. And you will confirm your word with signs following. I pray and ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is taken hostage. Peter is arrested. He's thrown in prison. He's going to be tried, and he's going to be executed. And then God miraculously shows up. And delivers him. What are the spiritual lessons for you today? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. About that time, 
King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with the sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. He was a high-valued target. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. Thank God for a praying church. They prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. (laughs) Say that with me. Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed, put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. What a remarkable and amazing story. Now, this lengthy section of Scripture we just read, it opens up by saying, about that time. That's an interesting phrase. It's an important phrase. About that time. What time? It's a reference to what just concluded in chapter 11. If you were here last weekend, we talked about how in Antioch, Acts chapter 11, they, the believers were first called Christians. It was during that time that Agabus, a prophet, stepped forward and said there's going to be great economic unhe- uh, upheaval worldwide, that a worldwide famine was hitting the earth. There was an increase in persecution which caused many Christians to have to flee, but everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. And the Bible says that the hand of the Lord was upon them, and because the hand of the Lord was upon them, many turned to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in the worst of times, economic, world famine, persecution, they could also be the best of times because God was still with his people. His hand was still upon them, and there was great revival that was occurring during the worst of times, it could be actually the best of times. You know, if the devil's not attacking you, you're probably no threat to him. But the enemy was attacking the early church, and the enemy was attacking in particular Peter because he was the, he was the primary leader of the, of the Christian faith at this particular time. And Herod, Herod arrested James. Now, James was an apostle. As we read, he was the brother of John. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also called the sons of thunder. Sounds like a rock group, doesn't it? Sons of thunder. Buy your tickets today. <laughs> These guys were, they were, uh, they were radical. They were very aggressive and bold, and one day they, they really crossed the line. Their mother in, influenced them to ask Jesus when he came into his eternal kingdom if one could sit on his left and the other on his right. 
And Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking. Yes, we do. Can you drink of the cup, the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? They said, sure. <laughs> Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, those two seats were reserved for someone that the Father has already selected. But these guys were aggressive. They were not called sons of thunder just, you know, because they were passive. And yet James is taken by Herod and he's killed. Now, we know Stephen is the first martyr of the New Testament church, but James was the first apostle to be martyred. He had spent three and a half years with Jesus. He was a pillar of the church, and yet he was martyred. Now, what's interesting is, why does God spare Peter, but why did he allow James to be executed? Well, I don't know. If you know, send me an email. Because the Bible really doesn't give us an answer. We can only speculate that James' assignment was fulfilled. Peter's was yet to be fulfilled. And so God extended Peter's time so that he could complete the assignment. Who is this Herod? Herod was a wicked king. He's actually Herod Agrippa I. Now, there are a lot of Herods in the Bible, and the, the name Herod means hero-like. That's what the name Herod means, hero-like. Herod Agrippa here in Acts 12 was the grandson of Herod the Great in Matthew 2. We all are familiar with Herod the Great in the Christmas story and, and how in Bethlehem, Herod the Great killed every boy child two years and younger, hoping to kill the Christ child. He was a really bad dude. Well, this is his grandson, Herod Agrippa I. Guess who his sister was? Herod Agrippa I, his sister was Herodias. Herodias, she's infamous, the infamous Herodias, because she, through her chicanery and deceit, had John the Baptist beheaded. Now, there's another Herod that's mentioned in Acts 25, Herod Agrippa II, who's the son of Herod Agrippa I in Acts 12. And Herod Agrippa II, he's the guy that Paul stood before and preached the gospel, and Herod the king said, almost. You persuade me to become a Christian. So if you're not confused yet, just hold on. All these Herods in the Bible. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, here's the important spiritual truth. Evil is generational. Satan has offspring. Show me a wicked, a wicked grandfather, there will be a wicked son probably and a wicked grandson. But thank God that godliness and righteousness can also be generational. Show me a godly father, he can have a godly son and have a godly grandson. Show me a godly mother, she can have a godly daughter and have a godly granddaughter. Come on, thank God for generational righteousness. But these Herods were bad, bad people. And because James was killed by the sword and it pleased the religious leaders, he thought, I want to score more points with them. You see, he was appointed by uh, Caesar in 41. He served 41 and 44 uh, was the time period in which he served under the emperor Claudius. And he was about consolidating power. And if this pleased the people, then, wow, they really got excited about me killing James. Wait till, wait till I give them Peter's head on a silver platter. So he arrests Peter. The church desperately comes together in prayer. And the night before Peter's trial and certain demise and execution what was Peter doing was Peter in his cell pacing back and forth was Peter biting his fingernails down to the wick 
Was he wringing his hands? Was Peter worrying? Was he anxious? Was he crying? Was he pleading with God? No. What was Peter doing? Sleeping. Fast asleep. You know, Peter didn't have a problem sleeping. God bless him. Sometimes he fell asleep at the most inopportune times. Remember in the garden when Jesus was praying earnestly and he said, please watch and pray with me. And he came back and he found his disciples. Peter was one of them fast asleep. And Jesus said, what? Could you not tarry with me one hour? But Peter's not the same man in this story that he was in the Gospels. He's a changed man because God can change the life. He's different now. He's not sleeping because he's a coward. He's sleeping because his trust is in God. You know, Peter wrote a letter. He wrote two letters. And in his first letter, he tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says this. Cast all your care upon the Lord because he cares for you. We live in an anxious world. We live in a world where worry is, for many people, a full-time job. And yet Peter had every reason in the natural to worry, and yet he was anxious about nothing. Because in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. He knew the church was praying. He had already cast his care upon the Lord. He was like Daniel in the Old Testament. When he was thrown in the lion's den, those hungry, ferocious lions left him alone because he was God's man. So those lions became Daniel's pillow, and he slept all through the night until the king came the next morning and rescued him. You know, God wants you to have a good night's sleep. You know, the Bible says in uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 21, verse 4, that indeed, he who watches over Israel, he'll neither slumber nor sleep. I mean, know oh, God stays up all night and he watches over you. And he's working behind the scenes to take care of those matters in your life and in my life. And if God's going to stay up all night, there's no reason why you and I should stay up all night. You know, the Bible says he gives his beloved rest. I pray over you right now, those of you that have had sleepless nights, because maybe you're facing a court date. Maybe you're facing an unpleasant appointment with a doctor, with an attorney, with a financial advisor. Maybe you're going through a very difficult time, and maybe the enemy's been robbing you of your sleep. Well, God says he gives his beloved rest. And I pray that you have the best, most restful night you've had in months Tonight, I pray you fall asleep and you sleep like a baby. Amen. I pray a spirit of slumber upon you. Not right now. You better keep your eyes open. If you can't go to sleep tonight, just put one of my sermons on. You'll fast asleep. <laughs> but Peter could sleep because God was staying awake. You know, anxiety is big business in America. Did you know that 60% of Americans are on antidepressants today? Three out of every five Americans are on antidepressants. Now, please know my heart. I don't judge anyone. I know sometimes for a short period of time, under the care of a good, loving, godly, spirit-filled doctor, you might need to be on antidepressants. But they're not the ultimate fix. They're not the ultimate solution. So many children in public schools today, they're a little hyperactive, and the first thing they want to do, put them on drugs. How many know there's a better way? That we can take the anxiety and the stress and the worries of life and we can lay them at the altar, we can lay them at the feet of Jesus, we can cast all of our care upon Him because He cares for you. 
He said, come unto me, all of you that are weak and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If the burden of life is too heavy for you, then it's a burden that God never intended for you to carry. Give it over to him. An actor who's been visiting a, a psychiatrist for years said some time ago, I must be the only guy who ever spent $10,000 on a couch and still doesn't own it. God can give you the help. God can give you the support. And God can give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. In this story, there are three lessons of deliverance that I want to give you in closing. Three lessons of deliverance. What's the first lesson that we learn from this story? The first lesson is this. It pleases Satan to see you bound. It pleases him. He enjoys taking you captive against your will and holding you as a hostage. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, it says, And that they may come to their senses, oh, that America would come to its senses, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That's your life, my life. Before, we, before Christ came to set us free, we were taken against our will by the enemy to do his will. And Satan still captures people. Maybe he's captured a son. Maybe he's captured a daughter. Maybe he's captured a grandson or a granddaughter, and he's holding them hostage right now to drugs or to alcohol or perversion or pornography or a thousand and one things. God can set them free. God can set you free. I've been reading through Exodus in my devotional reading through Scripture, and I love the story of, of God supernaturally delivering his people out of 400-plus years of bondage. Matter of fact, Egypt is called the house of bondage. And God, by his mercy and grace, sends in a deliverer by the name of Moses and delivers over one million of them. We know that because the Bible specifically says 600,000 men, not including women and children. So over a million people, after 400 plus years of slavery and bondage and servitude, are set free to go and worship God, to travel, to ultimately reach the promised land. And there's a key verse in the book of Exodus. It's found in chapter 2, verse 25, and it says this. Looking down upon them, he knew that the time had come for their rescue. God's looking down upon you in this service today. And he knows the time of your rescue or the time of the rescue of your loved ones is now. Today is the day of your deliverance. Today is the day of your salvation. Now's the time for you to be rescued out of your house of bondage. You see, Peter was in this prison, and he was chained between two guards, two chains. At the end of the story, those chains fall from his wrists, the Bible tells us. We read it. What are those two chains? I believe those two chains represent habits and procrastination. The bad habits that sometimes we form in our life that hold us back and keep us back from God's best that he has for our lives. F. M. Alexander once said, people don't decide their futures, they decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. If you can change your habits, get into a prayer habit, get into a scripture reading habit, get into a church habit, get into a life group habit, get into a habit of stop cussing and start praising God. Stop cursing and stop praising. Just begin to get into some new habits. Begin to change your old habits and replace them with new habits. Lo and behold, what God can begin to do in your life and through your life. Sometimes these bad habits are established in us at a very young age. 
And then they stay with us for the rest of our life until God supernaturally intervenes, and he can. You know, you've seen those large elephants, those 13,000-pound elephants in a circus. And they're, they're fastened by a small rope. And at any moment, they could snap that rope with no problem. But the question is, why? Why don't they snap that rope? Because they don't believe they can snap that rope. That's why. Because when they were small infant elephants, they were chained to a stake. And they tried to break free, and they couldn't. And they became conditioned to be tied to that stake. And they believed that that was their lot in life. So now a chain doesn't even need to be used. It's just a rope that they could snap. But they don't. Many times... It's just the small things in life that we've become conditioned by, that we have accepted, that we've come to the place in our life where we believe, my grandfather struggled with this, or my father struggled with this, or my, 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 my loved ones have struggled with this. I guess it's just my lot in life. I have to struggle with this. But God, through this message today, wants you to know you can break free. The chain can fall. The prison door can open. The gates can fling open. And you can walk as a free man or as a free woman what you and I choose to believe. What we accept is real that may not be real, but the devil has told you it's real. The second point is, it pleases the Father to rescue you. It pleases God to set you free. I love this verse in Galatians 5.1. Can we read it out loud together? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's why he came. That's why he bled. That's why he died. So that you could go free. He became a prisoner. He was mistreated. He was falsely tried and convicted. He was executed by Rome, but he didn't, Rome didn't kill him. You didn't kill him. I didn't kill him. He voluntarily laid down his life. He gave his life in exchange for all the hostages that Satan had taken captive to do his will against their will. Can we thank the Lord for that? You know, the number one value in America, what makes us Americans, what separates us from the rest of the world is the one thing we believe in more than anything else, freedom. America was birthed in freedom. Our pilgrims, the pilgrims, the early Christian pilgrims came here for religious freedom. We fought the Revolutionary War because we wanted our freedom, our independence from a king, a king in Britain. Freedom. And yet America has never been more bound, more in bondage than it is today. The good news, though, in John 8, 36, it says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus is in the business of setting people free. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. I declare that Jesus is here today. I declare that His Spirit is here today. And I declare that this is your time to be rescued. Where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. And it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage over our lives. In 1 John 3.8, it says that Jesus was manifested. <laughs> He came into this world that he might destroy, that he might pulverize and obliterate all the works, not just the work, but all the works of the devil. You know, uh, working in the, in the correctional penal system, a person could be paroled, 
they could fulfill their sentence and then be set free. But inevitably, as I worked there, many, sometimes weeks later, days later, would show back up. I'm like, what happened? And I learned there's this, this term called they had become institutionalized. They had become so conditioned to live in bondage, to live in prison, where they're told what to do and how to do and when to do it, that when they became free citizens again, they could not cope, they could not function. So inevitably, they would end up back in prison again. You know, God can set you free, He can set me free, but we can walk back into bondage. We have to learn how to walk as free men and free women. It wasn't easy for the children of Israel. They left bondage for over 400 years, but it, they'd become so conditioned to it. When they were in the wilderness and they faced some tough times, what did they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They, they spent more time looking behind than they did looking ahead to the promised land that God had promised them. I hope you and I are not living our lives like the children of Israel. I hope you're not spending most of your time looking behind, looking in the past. I hope that your gaze is fixed on the bright future and the glorious horizon that the sun will rise again in your tomorrows because they will be blessed of the Lord. I declare that, and I believe that. The third thought is God's deliverance comes in the nick of time. God's deliverance will come. And sometimes it's in that final hour, just before the trial, just before the execution. God is sovereign. You know, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You'll suffer for 10 days. In other words, there is an end to that suffering. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, as Peter did, I will give you the crown of life as James received. Now, in conclusion, Peter experienced four divine moments that led to his rescue, that led to his deliverance. And these are important for you and me today. The first was this. There was a manifestation. A manifestation of what? A manifestation of light. Is the text that we read in Acts 12, that a light shined in the cell. You know, light represents truth, illumination, revelation, knowledge. Light represents Jesus. He's the light of the world. It represents the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle that was built in the wilderness, there was a continual flame that would burn. It represented God's presence in the Holy of Holies. Light is a beautiful thing in a world filled with darkness. And sometimes we may find ourselves in a prison cell, pitch black darkness, but then the light comes. And the light always precedes deliverance in this instance and in every instance. Light comes first. That light was to notify Peter that a miracle was about to happen. His circumstance, his situation was about to change. I believe God is shining the light in your soul today. I believe that through this message, the light of the glory of God, through the message of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is turning on the light in your life. There is a manifestation. The second thing in this divine moment, the four divine moments, there was a method. What was the method? Well, God sent an angel. And God can still use angels today. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation, Hebrews chapter 1 tells us. I mean, angels are all around us. 
The Bible says entertain strangers for by doing so some have entertained angels. You today may be seated next to an angel. Look over to them and say, hello, angel. You never know. I heard that wife said, I always thought I was married to an angel. You are, darling, you are. God's method was to send an angel. Maybe for you it's a doctor. Maybe for you it's an attorney. Maybe for you it's a counselor. Maybe for you it's a pastor. Maybe for you it's a friend. God has a method. But when the angel showed up, I love this, he struck Peter. Why? Because he was fast asleep, that's why. Fast asleep. I don't know about you, but the day before my trial and execution, I don't think I'm going to be sleeping very good. But Peter was. The angel had to strike him, the method. And then the mandate. What was the mandate? The angel said, quick, get up, get dressed. It's time to get going. Get up, quickly, quickly, get up, and get dressed. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was sleeping in a prison cell, going to be tried and executed the following day, I would stay fully clothed, just in case God showed up to rescue me. But not Peter. So I'm going to get comfortable. Even though he was chained to two guards. I mean, he took it all off. Because the angel said, quick, get up. Can't believe you're not. Get dressed. Okay. Putting it all on, you know. And get your sandals on. We read it. Get your, where are, they're right there. Oh, okay. All right, let's go. There was a mandate. And then there was the miracle. Well, what was the miracle? The chains fell off. Number four, the miracle. Thank you. <laughs> Miracles happen. The chains fall off. Now I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. In a moment, I'm going to give an invitation. You know, Herod, of course, in the story, is a type of Satan. He wants to lock you up and shut you up. He wants to separate you from a praying church. Listen to me. Dear God, listen to me. He wants to, there are a lot of people that should be in church today in America and around the world, and they're not. Because he wants to separate you from a praying church. He wants to put you in a dungeon of despair. Then he watches over you because you're a high-valued target. Peter was in a state of spiritual slumber. Many times the church finds itself in a state of spiritual slumber, and we need to be awakened. Peter was naked, and he needed to be clothed. Jesus told the church once in the book of Revelation, you're poor, blind, and naked. You don't even know it. God, may we take off the garment of heaviness and put on the garment of praise. The Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. My son asked me a question yesterday in the 1 Samuel 16. He said, Dad, you know, when, when David would begin to play, the, the evil spirits sent from the Lord would be lifted from Saul, King Saul. What does that mean, that these evil spirits were sent from the Lord? Well, these evil spirits were allowed by the Lord to torment Saul because of his rebellion, his disobedience, and his sin. But God in His grace allowed the, the music to lift the oppression of the enemy so that he could remain free, but he invited that oppression back into his life, unfortunately. So here's what I want you to do. The manifestation, the light has come. The method, God's using this message. Sometimes He has to shake us to awake us. The mandate is the same. Quick, get up. I mean that literally. Quick, get up. Everyone, stand up. In the chapel, stand up. Here's what we're going to do. You're already dressed. Thank God everybody came to church dressed. You got your shoes on. Amen. We're going to begin to worship. 
We've done this in every previous service. We want these altars to be open. You want freedom. You want healing. You want to stand on behalf of a loved one that's, that may be in a house of bondage. It's the time of your rescue and their rescue. The presence of the Lord is here. The anointing is here. So as we begin to sing, I want you to come up to the altars. And then we're going to take a moment and then we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray a, a powerful spiritual prayer over your life and over your situation. Thank you, Father. There's power in the name Thank you, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Thank you that you're working, Lord. There is power I'm working right now behind the scenes the on the behalf of men and women. On the behalf of marriages, there is to bring healing and restoration in the lives of young people, those struggling with addiction, God, those that need a supernatural healing in their bodies, in their minds, or in their souls. We declare it now is the time. You're moving in this place. You're moving upon your people. You are welcome, Lord. Thank you for your divine visitation today, God. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. Quick, get up, get dressed, get going. Lord, we want to take you at your word right now. Precious name of there Jesus. Is power Thank you for the power. The it's in the name of Jesus. Jesus. And power. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Father. Thank you that the prison doors are being opened. The iron gates are being opened. You're making a way where there seemed to be no way, Father God. Every satanic bondage, every stronghold of the enemy right now, we come against by the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary and the power that's in that blood, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that quickens us and makes us alive in our mortal bodies. Lord, I pray your divine healing touch now in the lives of your people. Heal them, spirit, soul, and body in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for every shackle of sin, every bondage of this world and of the enemy that's been a part of the lives of these, your people, for many years. I pray now that they are being broken in the name of Jesus. We declare the name and the power that's in that name over your situation, over your circumstance, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you that bitterness is going. Anger and unforgiveness is going. Despair is going. The spirit of depression is being lifted even now in the name of Jesus. The oppression of the enemy is being lifted. Any curse that's been spoken over your life is broken now in the name of Jesus. Whom God has blessed cannot be cursed. Believe no longer that you are cursed, for you are blessed of the Lord. You are chosen, accepted in the beloved, and God's blessing is upon you to the thousandth generation in Jesus' name. Thank you that sons and daughters are going free from their bondages. Thank you that loved ones, grandchildren are going free from their bondages, Lord. Thank you for the generational curses being broken, Heavenly Father. Thank you for generational righteousness beginning in the life of my brother and sister that's going to be passed down to their children and their grandchildren to the thousandth generation. We do spiritual warfare right now. Come on, church, pray. Come on, church, worship. Come on, church, let's, let's stand in faith and believe God for everyone here today that needs to experience God's victory and God's power. We declare it in the name of Jesus. Sing it to the Lord. 
raise your hands to heaven. That's where our help comes from, Lord. Break every chain. Break every chain. Every stronghold, God, in the name of Jesus. We humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to you. We can't do it in our own strength. God, greater is he that's in us than he is in the world. Thank you for it now. Thank you for it now, Lord. I just sense the release of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, the mercy of God, just like hot oil being poured down your life right now. That situation, that circumstance that you've been facing. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, there are many of you here today that need to rededicate your life to Christ, or maybe you've never accepted Christ and made him Lord of your life. I need you to pray this prayer. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want you to pray this prayer out loud with the rest of us. I want you to say it with your own mouth and mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive His love, His grace, and His forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my Father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you serve you all the days of my life whom the Sun sets free is free indeed I am free indeed set free by the Lord Jesus Christ by his shed blood on Calvary by the power of his Holy Spirit I'm walking free today I will stay free for greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And God, you've given me power over all the authority of the enemy. And nothing shall by in any means harm me or my family or my loved ones in Jesus' name. The, Satan is defeated. Christ has given me the victory. To God be the glory in Jesus' name. Let's thank Him now, church family. Let's thank Him now.